And as we now turn into the scriptures to Matthew 26, I'm reminded of a time when I was in Scotland on one of our trips over there that we went to church on the Lord's Day in this Scottish church downtown Edinburgh. Uh, no, it was not Giles Kirk. This was a, a good church and a sound church and we went to uh, this Presbyterian church and we were all asked to stand for the reading of the scriptures out of which he would be preaching. As we turn to the uh, prophet, and I don't remember which one, it was one of the minor ones, but it was certainly not a minor reading. He proceeded to read consecutively for three solid chapters. And I thought, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a dose right there. I was asked this morning, so you're going to read the entire chapter of, of the book of Matthew chapter 26? I said, yes, but it will only be one chapter albeit it is 75 verses. So now if you would tune in with me to this narrative, uh, all 75 verses, beginning at verse 1 of Matthew 26. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the place of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on the head, on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial." Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they, there, they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each one of them began to ask him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and says, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, 
Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my God, if it is possible, let this cup from me, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with the great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Jesus followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath of the living God. Tell me, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palm of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one that struck you? 
Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. This ends the reading of the word of God. And our gracious Father, we ask now the Spirit would attend the preaching of this, your word, that our Lord would be glorified and high and lifted up, and he would draw our hearts and our spirits to him, and the Spirit of God would fall fresh upon us like the dew from heaven, and that this day we can eat of that bread from heaven and so be filled in the sustenance in our spirits that we might be willing and that we might do the will of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Bring forth the fruit of our lives and in our lives and through our lives and in us corporately and individually to glorify your heavenly name. We pray that you would work in us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our focus this morning on the passage will be with three men. And the reason I wanted to read the entirety of the passage is so with a broad stroke we can consider these three men. The first one is Judas, and the second one is Peter, and the third one is Jesus. All three were in the greatest spiritual battle for their lives and of their lives. Judas lost his soul. Peter lost his confession. But Jesus gained his victory. And how they engage in the battle is significant. And it's instructive for us. Well, Judas never really did engage in the battle. Peter engaged in the battle, but did not understand the nature of the battle, and he underestimated the power of the enemy. But the Lord understood the true nature of the battle, and he used his time preparing for it in prayer. This morning I want to preach to you on the nature of the true battle that we all face and how to gain that victory. As we see here three men, we can consider their differences and some similarities. Judas was an unbelieving man, Peter was a spiritually weak man, and Jesus was a totally and yielded man, trusting in his Father, completely yielded to his Father's will. When we look at Judas and Peter, which I think is an interesting uh, comparison, there are a lot of similarities between these two men. Both were disciples of Jesus. Both of these men walked and lived with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry for over three years. Both saw the great works of God through Jesus. Both were sent out, paired up, two by two, as Jesus sends them out, giving them power over unclean spirits and to heal. And both came back confessing that the demons were even subject to them. Both of them were in the upper room that evening when Jesus informed them, all twelve, that one of them would betray him. Both of them ask him 
who it was who would betray him. We even have from John's gospel clarity that Peter asked him. Both of them were disciples of Jesus of whom none of the others expected or suspected that one of them would betray him. They all ask. They were all confused. They were all saddened. Both of them denied Jesus. Judas did so with his life. Peter did so temporarily with his words. Both deserted Jesus. Judas made a decision to do so. Peter did so in a moment of weakness. Both were deeply sorry for what they had done. Judas went back and with deep sorrow and regret threw the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple and went and hanged himself. Peter left the trial scene and wept bitterly in remorse after he heard the rooster crow. I believe it's Luke's gospel that gives us a more vivid image that when the rooster finally crowed after that third denial, Luke says that Jesus looked over at Peter, caught his eye, and Peter was broken went out with great sorrow and wept for his failure. So what is the difference between Judas and Peter in their denial of Jesus? That's an important distinction to understand because the difference between the two is an eternal one. There's a difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. And I think that it can be shown that Judas sorrowed in a worldly way, but Peter sorrowed with a godly sorrow. This is important for us to know because when we do sin, we can sorrow with a worldly sorrow or we can sorrow in the godly sort. And Paul is going to help us to understand that a bit more. I think Judas and Peter are an illustration of what Paul then would later explain in 2 Corinthians 7 when he says, For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing. You sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. There is a characteristic difference between the two kinds of sorrow. Between Judas's sorrow and Peter's sorrow. Between a godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation and a worldly sorrow that produces death. We actually see this played out in this scene and then that which subsequently happens. For Judas, Jesus said of this man, it would have been better had he had never been born. He was, as Jesus calls him, the son of perdition. Judas sorrowed, but the sorrow was of a worldly sort. For Peter, Jesus had warned him ahead of time that he would deny him. Peter absolutely denied it. Even after Jesus clarified the details and the context in which he would deny him, Peter said, absolutely not. I will die for you. He truly meant that. What Peter admitted with his mouth and with good motives and good intentions in this moment, he he was willing to do anything and to obey the Lord in whatever the Lord commanded. He was willing to do that. 
With Peter, we see this actually playing out in his life. He did have a weak moment. But at the end of John's gospel, we see Jesus so graciously restoring Peter. Peter denied him three times, and as Jesus confronts him on that shore of the sea, he then asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord. Then feed my flock. A second time he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend my lambs. Uh, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> and Peter began to get a little exasperated with the third time. Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. See, what Jesus was doing is he was then restoring Peter one time for each of those denials. And Peter then would go on to confess Jesus the rest of his life all the way to the point of his martyrdom. Now, while worldly sorrow does have an emotional element of even regret and sorrow and sadness with it, it does lack true repentance. It, it lacks the change in our lives that comes from the inside that then exhibits itself on the outside. Repentance requires a, a change of attitude and a change of spirit within the man. In fact, the Greek New Testament word for repentance means a change of mind. The Hebrew Old Testament word means a change of direction. And so when repentance is true for a man, it truly changes the way he thinks. It changes his attitude. It changes his spirit. So that what produces in the man is that which then is a change of a behavior and a change of action, a change of direction in which he was going. That's why Paul says a godly sorrow which leads to repentance, which produces repentance, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. That description of godly sorrow includes both this change of mind and attitude and spirit, which even affects the emotions and the will. It includes the totality of man. And that was true for Peter, but it was not true for Judas. <clears throat> Peter had a willingness to follow Jesus, but Judas did not. I think that's another important distinction to see between these two men and they, the way they responded even in their weakest moment is there was a will that was involved. The distinction of the will, whereas one was willful and the other was willing. And as we see, Peter had a willingness. Judas was willful. The term willful is this idea of being self-willed. It's exactly the opposite of how Jesus prayed. The dictionary defines willfulness as stubborn or headstrong. And the point is that it is an act of the volition of the heart, the place and the seat where decisions are made. When we think of man having a mind and the way he thinks and emotions and the way he feels, but we also consider uh, the, the volition. It's the seat in which decisions are made. Now, you can't compartmentalize those three in such a way because we make decisions based upon how we think and feel. But Judas was willful. In fact, he chose to desert Christ. He chose. He went to the high priest and the priest, he says, what are you willing to give me? His will was already determined. He chose to desert Christ. His heart had never been changed to truly follow him. All the days he spent with him, and because of that close proximity with all of that light and illumination, Jesus said it would have been better for that man had never been born. And when you choose in your will not to follow or obey Jesus, 
you become absolutely then powerless. You give the enemy so much more power in your life. It's as though you have written the enemy a blank check when you make that kind of decision. We read that Judas was then filled with Satan. As we compare the other Gospels with this, Judas, uh, Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas went out from their gathering, and he sought the priest. And, and I believe the reason why he was solicited to, to betray Jesus is because it was difficult for the high priest and the priest to find Jesus alone. He was always surrounded with the crowds, and they needed to control the hour, and they, they, Judas knew where that would be, and he could then lead them in the darkness of the night on that occasion. Peter, on the other hand, was willing to follow Jesus. He claimed it. He confessed it. He was willing to die for Jesus, and he demonstrated his willingness to fight when the crowd came, and up from the slumber he came, and out came the sword, and wielding it, he, he slashed off the ear of the high priest. But he was willing to fight, albeit it was all in the wrong way for the moment. But in this incident, Peter denied Jesus because he was weak in his spirit. He wasn't dead in spirit like Jesus, but he was weak in spirit. And because Peter was willing to follow Jesus in whatever the Lord had commanded him, Peter would not be turned over to Satan like Judas was. Even in Peter's weakest moment, and even in his denial, Jesus would not turn him over to the enemy. In fact, the Lord's intercessory prayer actually kept Peter. He had told Peter to his face, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I don't know how sweet that and comforting that is to us now but the lord's intercessory prayer for peter prevailed even when peter's prayer life failed even when peter was sleeping the lord was praying and that's a comforting thought the bible says even when we're faithless the lord is faithful So where do we get the strength for the battles we face? Judas was not even engaged in the battle. Peter was flailing in a flesh that was not appropriate battle, and yet he did not have the strength to face the true battle. So where do we get the strength for the battles that you and I face? Because they're the same battles. And the answer is where? You got it? Prayer. It's in prayer. Prayer is the key to you, your and my spiritual success. It was the key to Jesus's. It was the key to Peter's, although he neglected it. And Jesus showed this to us here. Jesus knew the nature of the battle. He knew the nature of the enemy. He knew what he was engaged in. He knew his hour had come. He knew what was needed, and he had to give himself to it, and so he prayed. He knew the weakness of humanity's flesh. And the Bible says he was touched with all of our infirmities, yet without sin. He still knew the weakness of this flesh. He knew what it was like to be tempted he knew this weakness, this moment in the garden when his hour had come, and he prayed, even asking the Father to remove the cup that he must suffer, but he prayed. And as he prayed, he received the spiritual strength to overcome the weaknesses of the flesh so that the Father's will will be done in his life so perfectly, according to why he even sent him. 
Jesus knew what it was to feel temptation to be self-willed, though Jesus was never self-willed. He said, I came to do the will of my Father who sent me. I did not come to do my will. And notice what happens in his prayer in verse 39. The first time he goes beyond his disciples, he prays this way, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. As he prayed for an hour there, he comes back to the disciples and he finds them asleep. And then we see the next set of prayers in verse 42, it says, the second time he went, and the wording is a bit different. Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And then the third time he did likewise. There was a progression in his own spirit, a yielding of his own desires, and he prayed and he was strengthened in the time of prayer to face the enemy as the Spirit gives him the strength to do the will of God, even over against his desire. And that's the secret for us, to do the will of God and to obey him, to live like we should, not like we want. To have our attitudes changed to have our hearts fixed, to have our will strong to obey the Lord under the most difficult circumstances that tempt us otherwise, you must have this time in prayer. Jesus was the source. Jesus knew the source of this strength, but his disciples had not. Jesus finds them sleeping when they should have been praying. Granted, the hour was late, the day had been long, and the, the prayer season was long as well for an hour. But yet Jesus says, could you not just watch with me for an hour? As though it were not very long to spend. But then he has three seasons of that. You see, when we really know something, we tune into it, and we'll be energized in it. And, and, and Jesus finds them sleeping and he says to them, and he calls out Peter. Peter, I know that your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. He goes away. He's addressing Peter's willingness to die for Jesus. And truly his spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. So to overcome the weakness of the flesh, Jesus said, pray. Your enemy is stronger than you are. You cannot fight the battle in your own strength. Pray with me, Jesus exhorts them. I wonder as he then goes off and a little further by themselves, he leaves them clustered together. There were 11 disciples that went out with Jesus and he he takes three of them, leaving, what is that, eight, and then he goes beyond. But he leaves them clustered together because as people pray for a long period of time, being clustered in a corporate, in a corporate way will help keep them awake. Jesus prays by himself because he is a man that could pray all night. He could see in a way that we do not see. He knew something that we did not know. And as He then shows us by example where our power comes from in the Spirit to overcome all of these earthly trials and overcome all of these fleshy temptations, He exhorts us to pray. When the heat was on, Peter needed to stand strong and he failed. I will never deny you. I will die with you. And the next time you know it, he's failing. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a situation like that where you determined ahead of time that you're going to do something for the Lord, you get right in the moment, and, and, and you fail? I've been there several times. I, I, I've determined to witness to a particular person on a particular occasion. I was 
just as courageous as I could be, driving the hour and a half to the person, and I get and I confront the person, and I get back in my car, and it never happened. I'm like, what happened? I felt so horrible and miserable. I felt like I had just gotten scared, and I just didn't know how to broach it. Whatever it was, I failed. I think we've all faced those circumstances when we face temptation and we yield to it and, and we fail because our spirit was not strong enough to overcome the weakness of the flesh. And that is the only way it's going to happen is in our time in prayer with God. I want to draw attention here now to something different that we have to understand. There's a difference between fleshy or carnal courage and a spiritual boldness don't confuse those two so we're drawing distinctions don't confuse the difference in a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow there's an eternal difference between those two but neither should we uh, we should also make a distinction between who is one who is willful and one who is willing but another distinction we should draw is one of, of fleshy or carnal courage and spiritual boldness. Do not confuse the two. They are different and completely different. Peter displayed a carnal courage when Judas and the others came into the garden. He drew the sword. He cut off the, the, the high priest's ear. It was another gospel that shares with us it was Peter that did this. He was ready to fight. He was willing to stand, but he was not doing it spiritually. He was doing it in the flesh, and he was not spiritually strong enough to fight the kind of fight and the battle that needed to be fought in the way that it needed to be won. Peter did not understand the true nature of the battle that needed to be fought, and so he then took matters into his own hands and with strong carnal courage rose up to fight the battle a different way, a wrong way. But the battle was won for his spirit. Many Christians attempt to fight the Lord's battle, but in a carnal way or or by carnal means, and that was Peter's problem at the moment. And Jesus made it very clear that that's not the right way to fight the Lord's battles. Notice in verse 53 what he says there, Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He would provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? He did not pray that in the prayer of the garden even though he could. He did not pray to come and save from, from this hour, but it was for this hour that he had been sent. He did not pray for a, a carnal way in which the kingdom could be overcome and the kingdom of God could be entered in. He had to do it the Father's way, and it had to be a spiritual battle, one on the spiritual platform and in the spiritual hearts of men, and it had to bring forth the victory that he was sent to give. It is not by might, nor by, my, uh, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We tend to fight the Lord's battles, and we have good intentions, and we have a willingness, but we often do it in our flesh in the wrong way. To engage in the Lord's battles the Lord's way, we have to do it spiritually, not carnally, and you're only going to do that in a long time, in an accumulative time, in a regular time, in prayer. It has to come from the inside of man and then comes to the outside. great illustration of this that I was reading in the Old Testament this past week is then David is anointed and, and he then is engaged in many skirmishes and battles even before he became the king. There's one thing about David that's very notable in those battles. Every single time he would say, Lord, shall I go up? Yes, you shall go up. And he defeats and he comes back with a great spoil and he comes back and then, the, Lord, shall I go up? Yes, you shall go up. And he goes and defeats him with a great spoil. Even against 
so many odds. And when the time came where he was then with his own men and then Ziklag got burned and he's back here and he's all by himself because the, his own men turned against him. His wife and children had been taken away. All the wives and children of his men were taken away. The city was burned and, and he was alone. It says, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And he says, Lord, shall I go up? The Lord says, yeah, I'll give them into your hand. Go up. Against the Philistines in a subsequent battle. Lord, shall I go up? Yep, go up. Lord, shall I go up? Nope. Nope. Not this time, David. Circle back around. Whoa. I mean, there's such a track record, you could even begin to presume upon the Lord by that time. I've got the anointing. I've got the men. We've seen great mighty battles. Why do I need to turn one more time and ask Him? I'm just going to presume upon... Nope. Every single time David sought the Lord in prayer asking God is this something that is your will now that's a great illustration because had he not prayed he would have presumed upon the Lord not trusting him the Lord would have shown him his defeat just like he did Joshua at Ai the first time Judas wasn't even willing to engage in the battle. Peter was willing, but he trusted too much on his own strength. He underestimated the strength of the enemy and the means to gain the strength he needed. And the same, I'm afraid, is true with all of us. It's true with me. We cannot overcome our enemies in our strength of our flesh. We cannot overcome our sin issues with, with greater discipline. We cannot overcome our weak character by the sinful character by resolutions. We cannot overcome in disciplining ourselves apart from the grace of God. We cannot overcome our habits. All of these things require God's grace, which comes to us in His means of constant, deep, effectual, fervent prayer of His righteous people. We cannot change our attitudes. We cannot change our wills. We can't change our hearts or our spirit apart from prayer. And when we pray, God does do that work of change in us. So that when we pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he begins to change us so that we become more faithful to do his will in our lives, more consistent with that which is done perfectly by his angels in heaven. Prayer is that which changes us and that which God responds to. See, God has to do the work in us. And prayer is the means through which he does. Jesus knew the difference. He knew the difference between a carnal courage and a holy spiritual boldness. We see this later in Acts. In Acts chapter 4, it says, when the whole church was gathered together, and as the disciples, had, two of them had just been arrested and beaten and released and the church was there praying, they came back to the church and they were in prayer. And it says the place was filled with the Spirit of God and they spoke with boldness. And that word boldness there is a word that is only given by means of prayer. It is a word that you can search out and seek out in your scriptural uh, study, but that word boldly only comes by prayer. It is not a carnal courage. It is not mustering up my strength. It is not encouraging each other. It is a boldness that only comes by the Spirit in prayer. And when you have that boldness, you've got great power. Jesus knew the difference. He overcame the weakness of the flesh by the strong spiritual spirit for the greatest battle that was ever fought. And there's going to be a day coming in your life 
of a profound spiritual battle in your life that you're going to need to be ready for. And in that day, you're going to need to stand. I don't know what the battle is, but it will come. A day is coming when you will be called on to make a decision for the glory of God and to stand in the day when evil comes upon you. And the question today is, will you be ready and how will you be ready? It's not something that you're going to get your readiness at the, at the very last hour. If you don't believe in the means by which God is preparing you now for that battle, you're going to discount it until the place and the time when you might be willing, but the flesh is weak and it may overcome you. Paul knew of this battle and he writes back to the Ephesians in chapter 6 verse 13 when he says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. He's saying be prepared for the battle. It's going to come to you in some form, some way, some shape where you're going to have to make a decision to glorify God in that decision. And your willingness, you're going to have to be able to have the strength now to overcome the weakness of the flesh and to be able to stand in that which you have decided. And you've got to be ready for that great spiritual battle for your soul's sake and for your confession's sake. We have to be prepared for it. The spirit may be willing today, but the flesh is weak and it must be overcome tomorrow. And what you do today prepares you for that. Our spiritual lives must be strong to overcome the weakness of the flesh when we are called to stand. And we all know the weakness of the flesh, but the way to overcome it will be through prayer and only come through prayer. And as today as we see three men, we see Jesus as he prayed in the garden, relying upon the Father's will and the Spirit which the Father said, I will give to you without measure to accomplish that for which I sent you. Jesus needed that. Oh yes, he was fully God, but now as he was the last Adam, he was fully man and he had to go to this hour and triumph over all of the enemies, both yours and mine. And he was victorious to the end. Peter was a man who was in the battle and desiring and willing to engage in the battle, but did not, he underestimated the enemy and the nature of the battle. And he failed to pray, but he slept. And even after the Lord came and encouraged him and exhorted him, he still slept until the place where out of the slumber he came, wielding in the carnal flesh, for a battle that really was not real. The battle was deeper and of a different nature than that, and he was not prepared for it. And then there was Judas who didn't even engage in the battle. He had played the, the, the thespian all of his life. He played the actor. He was the hypocrite among the twelve, and, and he knew it. Jesus knew it. Eventually the disciples knew it. And he went out from among them because he was not of them. He regretted it, but he never repented. Peter went on to be used mightily of the Lord, and we are thankful for his testimony and for what he has given to us today. But for Judas, of a different story. What is your spirit like today? What is the fervency? You might be willing, but the question is, first of all, are you willing or are you willful? Has your will been turned over to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow His Lordship and to obey Him whatever He asks of you? Now, your flesh is weak, no doubt, but are you willing? Has your spirit been changed to a willingness out of a Judas and into a Peter. And then are you strong this day with a Peter to be able to stand when the evil day comes upon you? May God energize this church this year, each one of our lives today, to spend more quality time, fervent time in prayer 
for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of our own confession before men of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that too often we have failed because we've trusted in our own devices and put too much trust in our own strength. There have been many times when we have thought we were strong and those times were what your word would tell us, take heed lest we fall. As you've exhorted us through all the scriptures, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Watch because your enemy is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be watchful and pray always without ceasing. Our Lord, we confess to you that we are not people of prayer as we should, and we ask that you would forgive us for not trusting in you. That lack of trust in our God and that prideful dependence in our flesh shows itself by how little time we spend in fervent prayer. We pray that would change in us. We have a willingness for that to change, but we do acknowledge our flesh is weak so overcome the weakness of our flesh and give us a great delight before your throne basking in your glory seeking the lord of heaven and knowing the promises of your word that declares victory to those who cast their trust upon you lord we know the battle is yours but you have called us to engage to fight And so we look to you to give us the Spirit's power, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, the very power that gave him the ability to endure through his greatest trial. We pray that you would give us this Spirit so that we might be victorious in Christ who works in us and through us to do of your good will and pleasure. May he be glorified in our lives. May he be glorified in our confession. And may he be glorified in our testimony. Make us strong so that in that day of evil, we may stand and have the Father's approval. Lord Jesus, intercede for us that the enemy does not sift us as wheat. Forgive us when we sleep, when we should be praying. And forgive us of our slothfulness, even when we're awake. Energize us now with the truth of your word and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit to bring forth a harvest of of a prayer time and prayer life of this church and send a revival of prayer in our own lives. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that his name may be praised. Amen and amen.